Hello, wonderful people. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. I'm Pastor David Butcher. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. As I said, I'm Pastor David Butcher, lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you this afternoon. And uh, today we have a a very special co-host who normally is the host, uh, Pastor Gary, welcome, Pastor Gary. G'day, David. How are you going? Great to be able to uh, to, to sit on the other side of the desk today. Yeah, look, I prefer sitting where you are. You would uh, generally run this equipment here, and uh, for a more mature man, you do an incredible job of it. Um, is is that a backhanded swipe uh, somewhere in there, David? <laughs> well, I'm sure there. Uh, you do a far better job than me. Look, it's really wonderful, Gary, to be joining you again. I know I haven't been on for a number of weeks. I've been away, and um, we're going to be talking about a really powerful topic today, aren't we? We are. We are. This is a this is a really big one because I'm so conscious that uh, uh, there are many people. I've actually had uh, uh, had uh, uh, certainly uh, parents of young people come to me and uh, and tell me that uh, they're young young people actually walked out of the church uh, and away from Christianity totally because they didn't understand this particular subject. And so really the subject, the theme we're looking at all week is, is the good book too violent? Yeah. Is it too violent? And um, of course, um, this this raises lots of questions. So I would really like to encourage you, if you have any comments or questions or would like to give feedback or would like to uh, get the free giveaway when we announce that, then please uh, program into your phone our drive time uh, SMS number, which is 04888-80811. That's 04888-80811. And uh, get ready shortly because we will be announcing that free giveaway book. Uh, Pastor Gary, um, you have a church here uh, right near uh, one of the most uh, beautiful beaches of um, metropolitan Adelaide. And uh, you also every now and again get out to preach at other churches, don't you? Recently you've been somewhere. Tell us about uh, your experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, look, this last weekend I, I had a very real privilege. I love being able to get around and to be able to touch base with a, a few other churches. This uh, Just this last uh, weekend on uh, on Saturday, on, on Sabbath, I uh, I preached at Grace Adventist Centre. Now, this is a real uh, ripper of a, of a church. And I want to say a really big uh, shout-out to any of our uh, Grace Adventist people who are, who are listening, and I know there's a number that certainly do. And one of the things that I, I really appreciated uh, is the, are the number of uh, new people who were ac- I was able to talk to who are new uh, certainly to uh, to that particular church. Now Grace Adventist Centre actually came out of uh, uh, one of our larger cities, one of our larger churches in the middle of the city. Uh, it was certainly being planned uh, during the uh, the time that uh, um, that I was pastor at that particular church, but it never did eventuate at that particular time. Uh, but uh, certainly uh, just after my, my departure, uh, we actually had uh, a number of people uh, become very passionate and uh, they're meeting on Sir Donald Bradman Drive there. This is a church plant and I had the very real privilege to be able to go and uh, can preach uh, at, uh, at the Grace Adventist Centre. This is a, a young group of, this is young professionals. Right, I, right near the Adelaide Airport. Right near the Adelaide Airport and 
and uh, they are passionate and they are on fire for God. And, uh, you know, look, if somebody wanted somewhere to worship, uh, I'd be, apart from the Brighton Church, of course, I mean, I would be recommending uh, the Grace Adventist Centre. It's a brilliant, it's a lovely church. And Gary, did you meet anyone there or have you in some of the other churches that listen to Faith FM? Yeah, we have actually. There's, uh, I, I'm actually, as I, as I move around, uh, the thing that I'm incredibly blessed with is that, uh, you know, there are so many people who have got a, uh, got a, a religious background from many different denominations who are choosing uh, to listen to Faith FM and a number of them have chosen to, uh, to come and worship at, uh, at their local Adventist church. And I, I, I it's wonderful I was able to, um, talk, you know, to, uh, uh, to two people certainly this last weekend that, uh, certainly were attending, uh, Grace Adventist Centre as a direct uh, result of, uh, uh, the influence of, uh, Faith, uh, Faith FM. And, uh, to me that's, that's exciting because it says that, uh, uh, Faith FM, we want Faith FM to speak not just to the head but also to the heart. Absolutely. And, and look, Gary, you've talked about a church plant. And so, um, I'd want to challenge you, uh, that are listening out there, if you're involved in a church plant, wherever it may be across this country, uh, send us a message, 04888-80811, What I like about church plants, and maybe send in why you're involved in a church plant. Mm. What, what is it that that um, has you involved in it? For me, Gary, um, a church plant has to fight to survive in the sense of you don't have people... Pew warmers. You don't have people there just consuming Christianity. Indeed. If that plant, even like a little seedling, if that church plant is to grow, everyone has to work together. Everyone has to move forward and support. Yeah. A church plant is actually quite a lot of hard work. I know I've been involved in four or five church plants in my, you know, throughout my ministry, and uh, each time uh, I, I find that it's uh, uh, it's something that requires a huge amount of energy and uh, in inevitably that energy is uh grows it develops and it multiplies and it draws people uh to both the church plant and also to Christ it does and what i find about church plants is that they they actually absorb people's focus and energy and time not just for one day a week yeah. But throughout the week. And so yeah. you have a living Christianity. So if you're listening, um, send us a message, 04888-80811. Tell us which town, which city your church plant is in that you're involved in and why you're involved in church planting. Mm. Um, Gary, something really important, changing tack a little bit, something really important that is coming up is is a theme within the Seventh-day Adventist Church on prayer, a specific theme. And so we're going to play an ad very shortly uh, for you to listen to, and then we're going to talk about this. But um, you will hear this ad played numerous times on Faith FM, particularly next week. Uh, listen to this ad, um, respond to this ad, and then we'll talk about this topic, Gary. Hello, this is Pastor Gary. You might be familiar with me from Drive Time. I have a fantastic invitation for you. Every year, the Seventh-day Adventist churches all over Australia jointly participate in what's called a week of prayer. During this week, churches share at different times in focused prayer. At these times, we pray for spiritual revival. We pray for reformation in churches. We pray for our community and we pray for a multitude of personal needs. Sometimes this occurs by Zoom in the early hours of the morning. 
Other times, local churches host physical gatherings each evening. Often, it occurs at the local Seventh-day Adventist church. I'd love to encourage you to check out what's happening at your local Adventist church. Or, if you'd like to join with me by Zoom, 7am Adelaide time, each morning, Saturday, September 10, through to Saturday, September 17, all you need to do is to email me at Network at gmail.com and I'll forward you the Zoom link. If you'd like us to simply pray for your needs, then please send us that request to Network at gmail.com and we'll add your concern to our prayer list. We believe that we serve a God who answers prayer. May God richly bless you. So Gary, talk to us about this initiative, the Aussie Prayer Network. Tell us about what's going to be happening and why this focus on prayer. Yeah, look, this is something that's been, uh, well, it was set up some, some time ago, the Aussie uh, Prayer Network. I just, uh, email address that I, I did actually register. But, you know, one of the things that I'm so conscious of is that every year the Seventh day Adventist Church does run this thing. Uh, it's entitled the, uh, the Week of Prayer. Now, you know, in, in various churches, sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's, it's followed fairly closely. Other times it hasn't been. But you know, the thing I've discovered, David, is that whenever churches have actually, um, put some time, uh, into having an intentional and an intensive week of prayer, there's actually been significant lives changed. There's been miracles that have occurred in churches. Do you know, David, as I sort of look at the, you know, as I look at the New Testament, I mean, you know this as well as I do, we have, uh, you know, a number of examples there where uh, continually the apostles are coming together and they're praying uh, for the uh, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They're praying for miracles. They're praying that hearts will be touched. And as a result... Hearts were t- touched. Look, absolutely, Gary. And, and so often um, we may talk about prayer and the importance of prayer, but how much time and focus do we actually put into praying? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just what you said about the New Testament church and, and the early apostles there, I'm drawn to the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, um, one of the stories that uh, really resonates with me when it comes to prayer is the birthing of the Christian church. We've just talked about church plants. You visited one last Saturday right here in Adelaide. But what I love in Acts chapter 1, you have this picture of um, Jesus' last um, words while on earth, if you like, to his disciples. He's Mm. caught up to heaven, uh, Acts 1, 9 to 11. Uh, But before that, he tells his disciples to return to Jerusalem and to um, wait for the promise of the Father. Which is the gift of the Holy exactly. Spirit. Exactly. And they return to Jerusalem. They go to the upper room. And in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued, this is what I love, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication Mm. with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Yeah, yeah. It's a powerful passage. It is, because a couple of things here. Verse 15 tells us there was about 120. 
Indeed. Now, can you imagine, this is uh, about 10 days before Pentecost. Mm. And uh, reading the text, it suggests uh, from Acts 1 to Acts 2 that these men and women are praying together for about 10 days. Mm. Uh, and what are they doing during that time? Is, is it a time of inactivity prayer or, or what do you think is happening here, Gary? Oh, look, I, I think without a doubt there's uh, this is a time of worship and praise. You know, I, I don't imagine this being one continual prayer, but what I do imagine is that this is a time of a confession. This is a time of setting things right. Right. Uh, this is a time of uh, of of, in- of intentional worship, of of singing praise to God, uh, you know, of eating together, of of sharing together, of fellowshipping together. You know, to me, this is an exciting time uh, in the life of the church. Uh, in fact, one of the things that you know I love is actually what uh, most people don't, don't realize is, in fact, the second outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and you actually find it in uh, Acts uh, Acts chapter four, because in Acts chapter four, what you get is the uh, church is being uh, being persecuted. Uh, Peter and uh, and John have been uh, have been locked up in uh, in prison. And what does the church actually do? Well, in in verse uh, uh, twenty nine, chapter four of Acts, we we find that the church turns to to prayer. And this is what they say: Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant that your servants, that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done in the name of your holy. Servant Jesus. Do you know this is a beautiful prayer because what we have here is uh, the disciples praying for this thing called boldness, mm. and yet what you find is that as a result of that prayer, the Holy Spirit is poured out for the second time. This is the second record. They haven't asked for the Holy Spirit, they've asked for boldness uh, because Peter and John have been locked up. But it comes as a result of prayer. It, it does, Gary. And what I love in this story in chapter 4 in verse 17, so we know Peter and John have been locked up. Uh, verse 17 of chapter 4 says that they are uh, severely threatened uh, by the authorities. Uh, verse 19 talks about also being, um, uh, 19 verse 21 says further threatened. Uh-huh. And then in this prayer in, in the latter part of chapter 4, when they're pouring out their hearts to God in praise and in worship, they say, as you've read, Gary, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your words. Yeah. yeah. So, so this praying is an intensity, isn't it? Imploring, pleading, yeah. uh, sharing with God that his sovereignty, his power will be seen for his yeah. glory yeah. and praying that they will be bold enough to represent him. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, I mean, that basically gives the, I suppose, the scriptural foundation for what we're going to be doing because during, uh, that, the week, it's, it's not next week, but it's the, the week after. Uh, it's the first full week in, uh, in September. Uh, our, the churches right around Australia are going to be, uh, celebrating this thing called, uh, the week of prayer. And look, I would just encourage if if you're somewhere, you know, you're not here in Adelaide, that's fine. But hey, contact your local Adventist church and just simply uh, say to them, hey, what are you doing for the week of week of prayer, the week of devotion? Uh, because I am sure that some of them, not everyone, uh, picks it up, but most most certainly do. And uh, I, I know at my at my church here, we're going to be uh, meeting for just one hour uh, each uh, each evening, uh, Monday through to through to Friday. I'm going to be sharing uh, in the pulpit on. Uh, uh, the first Sabbath and the second Sabbath uh, on the uh, on the theme of uh, uh, of this uh, this particular week of prayer, and uh, then each morning 
I'm going to be uh, leading a Zoom, just a half hour, 7 till 7.30, Adelaide time, half an hour of uh, uh, this will be prayer. We're going to share a promise uh, from the scriptures and then we're going to move straight into uh, the prayer needs that, uh, that that certainly are brought are brought to us. And, you know, if any of our folks want to uh, join us, love to have you join us. So, Gary, um, yeah, this uh, they send you a message, an email on Network at gmail.com. That's it. Send, look, just send me a message. Say, look, I'd love to join your, you know, your, your Zoom meeting. Um, or alternatively, I can't join, but, hey, I'd love you to pray for and just share with us what you'd like us to pray. It doesn't have to be in-depth if it's just, just say health matters. You don't need to uh, go into depth because we don't want to uh, share these things, uh, you know, publicly with the group, uh, but just for health matters or, or, or maybe for relationship issues just something in very in general a type uh, type of terms and uh, if you'd like to join us uh, then please indicate that and I'm happy to just simply send you the zoom link and uh, I'll be sending it out to my church members uh, we'll have some people will join us one or two morning uh, mornings uh, others will join us more than that uh, but we'd love to have uh, we're just in opening up the invitation there if there's anybody who would like to join us that's really good Gary and uh, these two passages we've uh, looked at Acts 1 and also Acts 4 uh, both uh, common factors there prayer and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and we need to be praying for a daily infilling of the Holy Spirit don't we? Indeed. And because without the Holy Spirit we're incapable of doing anything. So and that's, that's one of the things that's going to be on our prayer list. That's top and you know top and centre uh, because that is something that it empowers the local church when that occurs. So Aussie Prayer Network at gmail.com. Yep. Uh, Gary, we're going to go to some music. We're going to hear a beautiful song, El Shaddai by Michael Card. Should die. 
You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with Pastor David Butcher and also Pastor Gary. Uh, we have a wonderful giveaway for you today and the uh, text number is 0488 and the giveaway offer is a book entitled Desmond Doss, Conscientious Objector, The Story of an Unlikely Hero by Francis M. Doss. Um, those of you that might know the story of Desmond Doss, he uh, refused to bear arms uh, in battle in, in an island off uh, Japanese control. He refused to bear arms, but uh, he was a medic. And, uh, and a very, very powerful story of someone that put his faith, his integrity, and his conscience before uh, worldly commands. And so this is a free book that you can get by simply uh, texting us uh, the message uh, on our text number 04888 80811 and using the code SA69. Uh, and uh, that way you will get this book, Desmond Doss, Conscientious, Conscientious Objector, SA69. And you text that to 04888 Uh Our topic this week is all about um, uh, the violence in Scripture. Is the good book, is the old good book too violent? And particularly uh, our topic today 
Is the God of the Old Testament a merciless monster? Can I love the God of the Old Testament? And uh, Pastor Gary, normally the host of this program, is the co-host today. He'll be leading us through, uh, uh, I guess, a study of this topic. What is God really like? And and Gary, I don't know about you, but non-Christians sometimes assert that God is portrayed in the Old Testament as a cruel, ruthless deity who indiscriminately orders people to be killed. Um how would you answer that? And I guess more broadly, this question, what is the God of the Old Testament really like? Yeah, look, David, this is, this is probably one of the, one of the biggest questions that I think it's, uh, it's possible to, to ask. I, I, I will remember that, uh, I, I actually, uh, preached uh, on this subject, uh, some, quite some time ago. And, uh, after the, the sermon, I actually had a, uh, a church elder. Uh, come up to me and uh, the church elder said something to me that I found incredibly interesting. She said, um, um, Pastor, Pastor Gary, I, uh, I, I get Jesus, I get, but I don't get the God of the Old Testament. Uh, I wish the God of the Old Testament was more like Jesus. That set me back a few paces. Uh, on another occasion, I spoke on this particular subject, and uh, outside I had a uh, a, a mother. Uh, she was uh, had a few tears actually rolling down her down her cheeks, and I went up to her and I, I just asked her. I said, "Hey, is there something that you know? Is there something we said?" She said, "No." She said, uh, "That subject." She said, "I wish my son. I wish my son had understood it because he went along to university and uh, within the first." A few months of him being at university, he attended uh, some of the uh, university clubs, joined in, they discovered that he was a Christian, and immediately they started to ply him with questions that he really couldn't respond to. And one of the questions that he couldn't respond to was uh, this issue of the horrible God, and that's how they put it, the horrible God of the Old Testament. Of the Old Testament. And she said to me, she said, he walked away from Christ and Christianity and hasn't been inside a church since. So this is a real challenge, isn't it? I mean, either this is what happens, someone walks away from it altogether because they can't put the two together, the God of the Old Testament with the God that we see in human flesh, Jesus Christ of the New Testament. Uh, That might be one option. The other one is to reject the Old Testament, which is really throwing away a a significant part of the Holy Word of God. Indeed, indeed. And, and, And look, they're the possible responses. But to me, I think once you move into the Word of God... There's actually some far better responses. I mean, one of the things I'm so conscious of is that, you know, I mean, uh, I'm conscious that uh, early teenage boys love the the series Horrible Histories. Have you heard of them at all? I have. And uh, there's actually even every now and again, I see a couple of them on TV. Probably not as good as reading because reading you have so much imagination, but they do have some of them on TV. Look, to me, I find them absolutely remarkable because, you know, the groovy Greeks, the uh, rotten Romans. I've actually got a few of of these books, the uh, cutthroat. Celts, the vicious Vikings, you know. I mean, it's the sort of thing you, you read these books and you sort of say, hey, you know, and are they closely, how close are they to history? Let me ask you, David, if you were wanting to do serious study of history, would you go to one of those books? No, I'd be going to primary authors, I'd be going to some really well-accredited um, uh, encyclopedias. I'd be looking at journals, all of those sorts of things. Exactly. Why wouldn't you go 
to one of the horrible history books? Because automatically, well, probably, hopefully I give you the right answer, but the very title itself is trying to dramatise and paint something, uh, trying to create interest uh, and excitement, if you like, perhaps not going into full detail. It's a snapshot. We don't know. The context is very rarely given. Mm. We we don't come to understand exactly what is going on and why it's going on. I personally wouldn't do my history from the Horrible History series. I mean, yes, they're entertaining for early teenage boys, but uh, hey, I wouldn't do serious history study from them. So you said context is all important. Context is all important. Now look, this that is what is so important about uh, understanding this subject in the Old Testament. You know, it's so easy to simply say, I'm going to find the most gruesome tales. I'm going to forget the bigger picture. I'm going to ignore the culture. I know I'm going to draw a horrible histories level a conclusion. You know, I suggest to you that the horrible histories level conclusion is too frequently drawn in um, uh, in this particular debate. I mean, you take, for example, I mean, uh, Richard Dawkins, um, says, says this. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant cra- character in all fiction. He's jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. He's a vindictive, bloodthirster, ethnic cleanser. He's a homophobic, a racist, infanticidal, genocidal, capriciously malevolent bully. Now, you wow. know, when, when you read that, you turn around and say, wow. I why, mean, why would you uh, want to open the Bible? Why would you want to open the Bible? But look, to me, what I would say is Richard Dawkins is doing nothing more than drawing a horrible history's level conclusion. It, ripping apart context, drawing things out. It's like the modern media, which often is after just a grab line rather than context. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why it's important to come to primary sources. It's important to actually study what is being said here in its context rather than simply taking a horrible history level. Now, let me just give you some some examples. Now, what is God really like? You know, can I love the God of the Old Testament? Well, look, let me just take you to one passage of, uh, of scripture. And this is, uh, Deuteronomy chapter, chapter seven. And, uh, it's, uh, it's verse one and one and two. Uh, when the Lord God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations, greater and mightier than power, in power than you. And when the Lord God delivers them over to you, you shall not conquer them and you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them or show any mercy to them. Now, you read that on, uh, you know, as it, as it stands there and you say, hey, no, show no mercy to them, make no destroy covenant, destroy them, destroy get rid of them. them. I mean, this is a, this is, appears to be a horrible picture. But, Let's look at what's actually uh, actually going on because uh, what we actually find is that uh, is this the first time that these nations are actually mentioned? Well, actually, it's not. And and it's when you start to realise this context that things start to make sense. Uh, in um, uh, Genesis chapter fifteen, 
uh, there's a there's a passage of of scripture, and I'm so sorry for having to to rush today because there's so much here that we could actually cover. Uh, Genesis chapter 15, and it's verse uh, uh, verse 13 and 14, and here God is speaking to Abraham, and uh, uh, this is this is what He says: um, uh, Know certainly that your descendants, speaking to Abraham, will be strangers in a land that is not yet theirs. Speaking of Egypt, they will serve them, will afflict them 400 years, and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterwards they will come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, your children shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. This is interesting, isn't it? So Abram's in Canaan. The, his descendants will go into Egypt for 400 years, but they'll come back to Canaan because of? Because when apparently God is watching, God is not just watching the Israelites, he's watching these other nations. He says, hey, look, they possess that land at the present time, but I'm not going to give it to them just yet. Uh, I'm not going to give it to you just yet because those nations, uh, the iniquity of those nations is not yet full. Now, to me, this brings up an important point. It does, yeah. Because God apparently has got a line where he's prepared to say, look, you know, I want to work with this. You know, I'm, God is working with the Amorites, if you please, not just the Israelites. He's working with the Amorites, hoping and pleading that they will come back to him. So this is not the God of the Jews in the Old Testament. This is the God of all humanity. This is the God of all humanity who happens to also be the God of the Jews. Yes. Yeah. yes. I, I love what's actually happening here. You know, uh, to me, um, what... Why does God not dispossess the Amorites immediately? Well, do you know, to me, uh, I, I love Second Peter 3, 9 actually says this. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all oh. should come to repentance. I love that particular passage. So we have a loving, patient God that gives opportunity to everyone, every race, every ethnicity, whatever it may be, every nation. Yeah. Yeah, but that, there is a line ultimately for that, all humanity. He's saying that there is a line. Now, look, ultimately, of course, um, God dispossesses the land. Well, why does that occur? Well, Deuteronomy chapter nine actually actually tells us, and and this is really important because we get this once you understand the context. There's things that actually start to uh, start to really make sense. It's Deuteronomy chapter nine, and it's verse uh, uh, verse four and uh, four and five. Uh, do not think in your heart. I love this, um, that the, after the Lord God cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out uh, from before you. It's not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord God drives them out from before you, that he may fulfill the word which he spoke to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this uh, land uh, to possess uh, because you are righteous, for you are a stiff-necked people. How would you feel about God saying that to you, David? That would be pretty tough, uh, wouldn't it, if someone telling you you're stiff-necked. Now, now, Gary, God, through Moses here, is referring back 
to what happened with Abram, isn't he? He is. How, he is. how God to Abram saying, you're, you're not ready yet, uh, your descendants, to enter the land. They have yep. to be in Egypt for 400 odd years. Exactly. Exactly. And so, uh, what, here we've got the picture of a God who is prepared to bear long with people who are not Israelites in order that he might call them to himself. This to me isn't the picture of the the type of God that Richard Dawkins paints. Absolutely not. This is a God who bears and perseveres and was using his people to be a witness to these nations. Exactly. Now look, one of the things I'm really conscious of here is, you know, uh, we don't have time to look up the, these passages, but sometimes we need to understand what was the wickedness of these nations. Now, these nations uh, were actually involved in human sacrifice of their own children. Of their own children. Now, I don't want to go into the details of that, but this was a horrendous practice. But, you know, David, I've got to ask you something. At what point does a nation cross a line where God says, I have to act I have to do something about what's going on here. Do you know, if you go and, um, you know, do, do something and you come to him and you repent your sins, God will forgive you. But do you know, when you start to uh, see a nation that's prepared to sacrifice their own children in the fire, you cannot but step in. And so, Gary, just as a side application, I think of this war in, uh, in Ukraine. Now, we have to be obviously sensitive. There are wonderful people everywhere, but I must admit, and I wasn't aware of child sacrifices. They weren't happening, right? But uh, when I heard about that, I'm thinking, this seems unprovoked. It's, it's uh, Someone's got to step in and do something. We just can't sit back and watch. And, and Exactly, David. In fact, when um, you might remember a few years ago, there was a, uh, there was a group called, uh, uh, called ISIS. And yes. I, they're still around a little bit. Uh, and one of the uh, uh, religious news sites... That that I follow, actually made uh, this particular appeal. A coalition of more than 50 religious leaders led by mostly conservative, Catholic, evangelical and Jewish activists is calling on, at that time, Pre- President Obama to sharply escalate military action against Islamic extremists in Iraq. They say nothing short of the total destruction of the Islamic State can protect... And so it goes on, and it talks about... You know, these people are calling because... Well, there were some, um, certainly some uh, individuals who had been beheaded, uh, but they were from the opposition. Can you imagine if you had a nation that was prepared to not just behead their own children, uh, not just behead the opposition, but rather their own children? Their own children. So it's a community that's sick to the core. This community has become sick to the core. Now, look, David. Um, we, uh, I'm really conscious of our uh, of our time, but look. There's something here that I really want us to want us to pick up on, and that's this. Now, please, if we don't um, don't pick up on anything else, please pick up on on this. I've I actually asked when I've shared on this subject, how does God win? Because listen to just listen to this. If God does not act on human pain and suffering, then people will say God is not loving. Or he's not powerful. But if he does act on human suffering, God is a bully. So God is pushed into a corner. 
Now, I hope you're going to give us the answer to this after the break. Oh, and look, this is this is a really important one because uh, to me, um, God is the the answer here is the issue that uh, God is a God of love, but love requires that at some point judgment does actually take place, and that these two sides of God are so important because we can't just simply say, you know, if God is, you know, um, doesn't act on human pain and suffering and warfare, then if he doesn't act, then we can, it's very easy to say, well, he's not loving or powerful if he doesn't act. Um, but when he does act, Richard Dawkins says he's a bully. And he's capricious and malevolent and all these sorts of things. How does God win? Well, Gary, you better tell us this after our break. We're going to jump straight to Andy McLeod, A New Heart. Lord, I want to be more like you as I go throughout this life But sometimes inside of me There seems to be such strife I have a heart that's often hard And often can be rough Lord, I pray from you a new heart You promised
Q&A. I'm Pastor David and I've got Pastor Gary with me as well. Hi Gary, how are you? I'm I'm good. I'm good. Thank you, David. I thought we had some tech issues there for just a uh, just a moment, but uh, thank you for giving me a microphone, David. Really did appreciate uh, that one. Hey, no worries, Gary. Um, for our listeners, we have a free giveaway book here. The giveaway book is Desmond Doss, Conscientious Objector, and the um, giveaway number to send in a text message is o four triple eight. 80811 04888-80811 and we want you to text in the code SA69 SA69 and uh, Gary um, where you hit us with two really important questions just before the questions were how can God win how can he win uh, if God does not act on human pain and suffering um He's not all loving and not all powerful, but if he does act on human suffering, he's seen as a bully. Yeah, David, um, uh, thank you for uh, for that. Uh, look, yeah, this this question is is really significant that we do actually understand the implications behind it. You know, David, one of the things that I uh, do want to, uh, uh, to to share is how much God cared for other nations. You know, to me, it's an important question that we ask, did God care for the other nations uh, within the, the ancient world? Or did he just care for the ancient Israelites? Well, you know, to me, as I, as I go right through the Old Testament, I just find time and time again, God is caring for other nations, you know, I I think of um, uh, you know the story of Balak and Balaam, and of course, Balak is brought uh, to uh, curse the people of Israel. But the significant thing is, his he is regarded within the scriptures as a genuine prophet of God. But the point is, is that he is actually a prophet for a nation other than Israel. God had prophets in other nations. Not just Israel, yeah, um, yeah. Look, that was a, that was definitely a key, um, a, a very key, key reason uh, for it. Uh, you know, I, I think of another, uh, a number of other uh, nations, uh, nations as well. You know, the the God of the Old Testament did he uh, did he care for? Other nations. Well, I think of, uh, for example, I think of Jonah. Uh, Jonah was uh, sent by God to the uh, to the Ninevites, and um, um, and uh, in the in Nineveh, the Ninevites had a terrible uh, a terrible habit. If they didn't like you, uh, then they had a terrible habit of putting people to death. Now, you know, to me, as I look at this, I turn around and I say, hey, I don't understand, uh, well, I do understand why Jonah chose to run exactly the opposite direction because the chances of him being persecuted in, uh, in, in Nineveh were incredibly high. And yet God said to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to preach to the Ninevites. Now, you know, as I look at some of the practices, and I know what some of the practices were of uh, ancient uh, Assyria, uh, you know, I say, Lord, you know, did you care for these people too? And the answer is yes. I mean, they were barbaric, weren't they, the it, Ninevites? It was barbaric stuff. You know, you, you look at it and you just simply say, hey, I, I don't get um, why, why God 
was so merciful to these people, and yet he was. He was, in spite of them impaling people and all sorts of terrible things. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's prepared to work for the salvation of the ancient Assyrians. So he sends his prophet into the enemy territory. Um, The enemy, the Assyrians, had already taken away and attacked many of his own people, and yet God wanted those people to have 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 a, a relationship with him. Exactly. Repentance. Exactly. You know, if I come to, uh, for example, the prophet uh, uh, prophet Zire, um, uh, uh, the the prophet Jeremiah, I find the prophet Jeremiah an intriguing prophet. But you know, in verse five of Jeremiah chapter one, he's actually called the prophet to the nations. His commission wasn't just to Israel, but rather to the entire to all the then known world. Which is really the purpose of his church in the Old Testament, wasn't it? That they would be a light exactly. to the world so that all people could be saved. Exactly, exactly. And when you look at that, you say, hey, this is not the God that is working, that, that is working for a person's damnation, but rather this is a God who's working for the salvation of the entire then known world. But the significant thing is each nation finally got to a point where they were doing such horrendous things, they had pushed God so far away that he simply had to answer that question and say, hey, given the pain and the suffering and the heartache and the disease that's happening in this situation here, I have to act. So all of these examples, rightly so, uh, you're giving us are from the Old Testament because this is where people get this terrible, harsh picture of God from. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, it's interesting. If you go into the New Testament, you know, we get this picture of Jesus, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild in, in the Gospels. But, you know, as I read the book of, uh, of Revelation, uh, I actually see a picture of Jesus coming to this earth riding a white horse to hold the nations accountable. You see, apparently that even Jesus ultimately holds people accountable once they go past a certain point. So we've got a God of mercy, a God of love, a God of compassion, a God who is so patient, and yet there is a point where enough is enough. That's right. Where a point where someone has fully demonstrated whether they will change or not. Exactly. And and look, it's at that point that we we have to allow God to be God because do you want that 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 issue, you know, is God are we going to, you know, if God does not work, if he does not act on pain and suffering and heartache and disease, then it's so easy for our university professors to say, ah, God is not a God of pain and God is not a, a God loving and powerful. He's not loving and powerful. Uh, but if when he does act on human suffering, then the same people say, he's a bully. Now, to me, this is not fair. You can't have it both ways. You can't. Otherwise, there is no opportunity. You're ruling out any other option before giving anyone any chance. Exactly. Exactly. You've and back them into a corner. You've backed them. In, you've backed God into a corner, and it's you know heads I win, tail you lose. You know it's you know it's that uh, that type of equation. And to me, I look at this and I say, hey, that is not fair. So, what's the difference then between the Jesus we see, Gary, uh, in the New Testament, and the God of the Old Testament, or is there no difference? 
I, my personal response is there, there is actually no difference. You do actually get, you get Jesus working for the salvation of humanity in the New Testament. You get God working for the salvation of humanity in the Old Testament. But you get, in, also in the New Testament, you get the picture of Jesus in the book of Revelation, riding on the white horse, coming to hold the nations accountable. Here you get exactly the same picture as you get of God the Father in the Old Testament. I mean, this is, you know, the two they I, don't contradict. They don't contradict. I and the Father am one. And so Jesus said, um, the disciple said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus came to give this beautiful picture that the, the personable, relational God that he is, is the same as the Father. Yet with that comes justice. Exactly. The two cannot be divorced because if you do, it means that you're going to justify evil. And that's something that, unfortunately today, we've come to adopt ourselves to accept evil. We, we certainly see it on the media uh, in a Absolutely. way that uh, certainly past generations did not did not accept. Uh, do you know, I, I, I actually love uh, C.S. Lewis. Um, he, he, I love his book, uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Some of our, um, some of our listeners may have, uh, may have read the, read the book. Uh, but, uh, uh, Lucy's actually talking to Mrs. Beaver and, and this is what she says. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan, the lion, God is there, uh, is the, Aslan is the picture of God. Um, without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. Then he isn't safe, says Lucy. Safe, says Mrs. Beaver. You don't hear what Mrs. Beaver says. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good, I tell you. He's good. He's the king. I tell you, he's the king. You know, I, that sums up to me so much about what, you know, when I think of the picture of what C.S. Lewis, the lion, the witch in the wardrobe, I think of a mighty lion uh, who was actually strapped uh, to a, um, uh, to a big table and was sacrificed. You know, in the New Testament, what do we actually have? We have the picture of Jesus Christ uh, being sacrificed for the salvation of humanity. So we see a God of love who is still bold and courageous to act when he has to, but when he does act, he sacrifices himself, if you like. Indeed. And Gary, one of my favorite texts here is, is Ezekiel 33 verse 11, which I think again draws out the heart of God from the Old Testament where it says, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And then this yearning, if you like, pleading, turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die? It's a that's a powerful passage of scripture. You know, to me, this is not the you know the God of the Old Testament is here pleading with people with his people. Why, why, why would you actually die? You know, when as I look at this, I say, hey, this is this is incredibly powerful. Uh, this is this a God that I'm prepared to serve. Yes, it is. And countless examples in the Old Testament, aren't there? Manasseh, this shocking king with everything he did, and yet there was that time and he repented. Indeed, indeed. And, and you know, to me, I've got to say, hey, once you start to get into what the Word of God's saying, you move away from the horrible histories type of Old Testament history, and you start to get into what the Word of God's actually saying, you can say, hey, uh, this is a God that I can love. 
Thank you, Gary. I'm wondering if you would pray for us. Yeah, I'd love to. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you right now. I want to say thank you for being a powerful God. Uh, Lord, thank you for being one who's prepared to act. Lord, thank you uh, for being a God that we can serve. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd be with our listeners. Look, if, if there's any who are, who are struggling right now, uh, if there's some relationship issue, Lord, if there's some uh, health issue, Lord, if there's a financial issue, Lord, I just pray that you'd be with that person. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you might hear their prayer. You might answer, that you might respond, for you're the Almighty. You are the powerful God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Looks like our time is up for today. Thank you for joining Pastor David and also Pastor Gary on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us again tomorrow afternoon when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh spend the entire time looking at the question, Thou shalt not kill. Are there exceptions? So really looking forward to seeing you and joining with us. But until then, please remember Christ said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.